In today's Champions Uncovered podcast, Carla Vassifal interviews Lee Denhaunt, an extreme athlete, sought-after motivational speaker, award-winning businesswoman and author of the book, What Happens When You Say Yes. In 2013, she became the third South African-born woman to summit Mount Everest, and in 2015, she was awarded South African Businesswoman of the Year in the entrepreneurial category. Lee is making a difference in the community with the Field of Dreams Foundation and lives with purpose, impacting people's lives and cheering others on by inspiring them. Welcome, Lee Denon, to the Champions Uncovered podcast. So let's get started from Everest to Ironman and racing in the Sahara Desert. I mean, reaching the highest mountain in the world, running through very hot conditions and putting your body through multiple Ironman events. So starting with Everest, you are not a typical mountaineer. I'm going to leave you to tell the story because I do know about it. I just think that the time that you took from the decision-making process and the preparation to actually summiting is phenomenal. So what does it take to climb the highest mountain in the world? What does it take? It's such a great question. Um, and thank you so much for your wonderful introduction. I truly, truly appreciate it. Carla, I've always uh, been one to challenge myself. I've been running an event company for 22 years. And it was in 2012 when we were doing an event series for a medical aid company in Pretoria. And we used an inspirational speaker who was so phenomenal. And that was Lewis Pugh. And I'm sure a lot of your audience know who Lewis is. He's also known as the human polar bear. And he has swum in the coldest lakes in the world. And he's done it for a great reason and a cause. And Carla, this was on the Friday. It was in June 2012. And I was so inspired by him. I really was. The essence of his talk was nothing in this life is impossible. If you truly believe you can achieve it, nothing is impossible. So that was on the Friday. I watched him on stage. And on the Sunday, I was sitting there thinking about my next big adventure. What was I going to do? And years before that, I thought about base camp Everest. But I sat there thinking and thinking about Lewis Pugh's words, thinking, but why go to base camp when you can go right to the top? And Carla, I picked up my phone. It was on that Sunday. And I sent him an email. I said, Lewis, I've made a decision today. I want to attempt to summit Mount Everest. And he was fantastic. He sent me an email that same day. And he, there were three things in his email. He said, number one, you can achieve anything if you believe it's possible. Number two, I'd like to encourage you to meet my friend Sibu Siswe-Bilani. Sibu is a phenomenal man. He's the first African man to summit from the north and the south side. And then the most important part of that email, he said, you must go with the right expedition company. It's a dangerous mountain. And a lot of people have lost their lives on Everest. I took immediate direction from that email. The following day on Monday morning, I got to work a little bit earlier. And when you're looking for information, what do you do? You jump onto Google. And I went into Google and I put one question in there. How do I summit Mount Everest? And all this information came to me. But one of the big things that came to me is that I had no idea that Everest would take two months to climb. I'd only even done one mountain, which was 11 years before that. Kilimanjaro, big difference. Kili is four days up and it's two days down. And Everest is two months. Anybody running a company, heading up a team, managing a division, it's a long time to step out of that role. But I was determined. I've, I found a Canadian company called Peak Freaks. They've been in the industry for 19 years. And the reason I went with them, Carla, is that they had a line on the website. We've got our 100% safety record. And that meant that nobody had died on any of their expeditions. My family thought I was crazy. They said, you run races, but South Africans don't know ice. We don't know avalanches. And we definitely don't know temperatures as low as minus 30 degrees. So I needed to reassure them that I was taking a risk, number one, but a calculated risk and going with the company with the correct credentials. That was in the June. And the next expedition was leaving 
in March next year. So when you say about very quick preparation, yes, I had eight months of which I put my head down and I started this journey of training and visualizing, very important, that I would stand on top of the world in May 2013. I was very blessed on the 19th of May. That's where I stood in minus 34 degrees on top of the world. It's most likely in you to also stretch yourself and to take on challenges and to move into that uncomfortable zone. But from listening to your stories, the conditions were extreme and hostile. I mean, it's one thing being a champion and making a commitment and a decision. But when the conditions hit you, talk us through that process of the conditions specifically and how you made decisions on your journey through those conditions. Fantastic. And you know, Carla, I love your words when you say stretch yourself and step out of your comfort zone. You know, there's that line in life that says nobody grows in the good times. The hardest thing for me on Everest was was the cold. It was the conditions that as a South African, I had never, ever experienced, not at all. You know, as I said earlier, Everest is two months. It's eight weeks on that mountain. Our very first night at base camp, it was minus 21 degrees. And that was a big reality check for me because the biggest challenge for me was the cold. I knew if I didn't get on top of my cold management, I would need to leave the mountain because the higher you go, the colder it gets. And what I did is, Carla, to manage that situation, because I knew externally I could never manage the temperatures or the ice or the avalanches, I developed a personal mantra. Every morning in my tent, I'd say, Lee, manage the cold. Don't let the cold manage you. Lee, manage the cold. Don't let the cold manage you. It's a bit like life. Manage the situation. Don't let the situation manage you. By me saying that to myself, I would quiet my mind to realize I am in control of my actions, my thoughts, and my communication, my communication with myself. That was very, very, very important because if I didn't get on top of that, I would need to leave that mountain 100%. As said, the higher you go, the colder it gets. But it wasn't just the cold, you know, it was also conditions whereby I was the only woman in a group of 18 men. You're there without your loved one, without your partner, and you're a group of strangers, essentially, from all over the world. And you've really got to hope that you get on with one another. You've got to hope that you've got successful team dynamics. We had an amazing leader. His vision for us was one team, one dream. And we really cared about one another. We were also a group of novices all going for the top of the world for different reasons. But also in terms of the avalanches, this was a big reality check that I was in conditions and an environment that was dangerous, that I'd never experienced. You know, in the year 2013, we were lucky that no avalanches came to base camp. And we had avalanches coming down in the early hours of the morning. You hear this tremendous roar coming down. And we were fortunate we were protected. In the year 2014, after I was on the mountain, there was not one summit. In one day, 17 people lost their lives in an avalanche. The next year, in the year 2015, there was not one summit. In one day, 16 people lost their lives in an avalanche, which is just a reminder that it's a dangerous place to be. And, you know, you've got to, one of the things about two months on that mountain, one of the greatest things and the most important thing you've got to get used to is acclimatization. Because the higher you go, the less oxygen. I mean, base camp, you're sitting at 5.5 kilometers up to the camp three, which is 7.1 kilometers. If the medical researchers have proven, if they took your human body and they took it to camp three, remember, you still got to get to the death zone and you've got to get to the summit, which is another two kilometers. If your body's up at 7.1 kilometers, your body would be unconscious within two seconds because of the lack of oxygen. So being on that mountain for two months, by the time we went to the summit at the end of May, your body had acclimatized and was used to that. So, you know, extreme conditions on Everest. It's not for sissies, let me tell you that. Wow, and also being the only woman on that expedition for two months, it's phenomenal, your courage. And what you've spoken about really here is 
how you activated your courage. And it's about your self-talk and your self-belief. And that takes a lot of practice. And I'm sure that it wasn't an overnight journey. And it's a daily practice. What you also mentioned here is your environment. So even though your environment was extremely hostile, I mean, also in terms of your Sahara desert run with 53 degrees of heat, what you're also saying as a champion is whatever happens in your external environment, it is what it is, but it's up to you and your actions and your courage and to activate that boldness and that courage to transition. And that's also with the Ironmans, it's like there are transitions from the swim to the run to the cycle. And that transition zone is actually critical um, and managing your internal environment. So your internal environment has to be way stronger than your external. Mm. I mean, is that something that you practice on a daily basis? You're an endurance athlete, and I agree with you, is that it's all about the mind. Um, you've got it, there's no one-day game in this. You've got you're in for the long haul. I mean, Everest for me was two months. And there were times, Carla, where I thought myself, I'm in this group of strangers with these men. They're far stronger than me, they're way more experienced than me. And I uh, I would sometimes feel a bit overwhelmed. And then I think, gee, just take this thing day by day, day by day. Because when I would sit there in base camp thinking I've got two months ahead, it seemed so long and so hard. And I would just kind of set in my mind think, just take this day by day. The race in the desert was 251 kilometers. You know, also we did that over six days and all you see is sand and sand and sand. So you've got to really just take this June by June and step by step. I also, in terms of when I say controlling your mind, your mindset, your actions, your thoughts, how I was communicating with myself. I remember running in my pack was 12 kilograms, which I had on my pack every single day, saying, Lee, manage the heat. Don't let the heat manage you. Manage this heat. Don't let the heat manage you. And then manage your feet. Quite interesting. There were 1,300 athletes that started this race in Morocco and the Sahara Desert. We had 63 paramedics following us. By day one, everybody's feet was fine. No blisters. By day Three, they were treating over, I think, three, four hundred blisters. I was lucky, I only had five blisters. But your challenge there is the sand is so fine, it's getting into your shoes. And then with the heat, you know, feet management was unbelievably important. And you know, one thing um, with these events, people say, but why do you do it? And I always say, but why not? And many times I'd remind myself on Everest or in the desert or the hole when you're out there for that day. I mean, nobody forced you to do it. It was your choice. And, you know, in the prep, in the training, always visualizing, being on top of the world, visualizing crossing the finish line, visualizing running down the red carpet, hearing those words, you are an Ironman. You know, it's just, uh, I always say in the grit is always the gift. And with Everest, Everest was the hardest thing that I've ever, ever, ever done in my life, Carla. And it has resulted in being my greatest gift because, you know, you never know how strong you are until you're in the hardest moment or the lowest point of your life because that's when you really dig deep. That's very encouraging, Lee, because a lot of people have been through their own Everest, as you mentioned, and they've got their own mountains to climb. And sometimes it seems insurmountable. But what your message is that, you can do anything if you put your mind to it and if you have that heart behind it and you you can really cross any bridge and any condition as long as you have that self-belief also that you can transcend these conditions and you've proved it. Well, you, you've got the experience, but I mean, you never had the experience before. So mm-hmm. that is just something that you have to make a commitment and a decision to do. And in terms of your decision-making, how do you go about making those decisions? 
And you make a decision about where you want to be and who you want to be in life. And I want to give you an example. It was in 2008 and somebody said to me, top business people are top athletes and top athletes are top business people. And Carla, I'm not meeting the gold medalists or the podium finishers. I'm meeting somebody who takes on an event. And I always say, you don't have to win it, but finish it. And when that person said that to me, something tripped me. I thought, that's who I want to be. I want to be successful in business. And I want to be successful in the sports field. Um, I also used to weigh over 30 kilograms, 30 kilograms more than I am today. So I was carrying a lot of weight. And I remember making that decision. And on that day, I entered my first Ironman. I didn't even know what the distances were, Carla. I really didn't. But I was so committed to who I wanted to be. And, you know, when I do inspirational talks, something I share with the audiences, Carla, is that people think you've got time. You don't have time. Make a decision today. And I'm talking again about crossing finish lines with sport, about the job promotion, about weight loss, about a successful relationship. When you're achieving small goals, you're still achieving greatness, your own personal greatness. And that's so, so important. But I encourage people, and when you say about decision-making, make a decision today about where I want to be, who I want to be, who I don't want to be. You know, they say 10% of the most successful people in America have got one thing in common. They are crystal clear about what their goals. And many times we say to people, who do you want to be? Where do you want to be? Where do you want to be by the end of this year? People don't know. And there's no judgment. Life gets crazy. Clutter gets in the way. But you've got to step back and say, right, today is the 10th of Feb. There's never going to be another 10th of Feb. Never, ever, ever. Today is the decision that I make a decision about where I want to be in my life. I'm actually speechless because that is something that really hits home, you know, when it comes to like, what is it that you want in life? Who do you want to become? You know, just making those decisions, those very important decisions and having clarity of vision in where you want to go and that actually the vision pulls you forward and having that that end in mind is also what gets you through you also wrote a book what happens when you say yes and this is exactly what you're saying now is saying yes to life if you can just chat to us about the attitude the altitude and purpose from your book Absolutely. And striving to live a 100% life. You know, um, I loved your words now when you're saying clarity of vision. When you're clear on your vision, there shouldn't be anything that stands in your way. But of course, life gets in the way. You know, Carla, when I was at Base Camp Everest, and I'm going to come back to the book because this was a very important experience I had on Everest that I've really brought into my life for the last nine years. We were at Base Camp. And because of the Canadian expedition company, we also had Wi-Fi. We had some solar panels going there. And we had not the best Wi-Fi, but we did. Do you know, Carla, every single day, I was running my company from my phone at Base Camp Everest. I was answering emails. I was texting my team. And I will never, ever forget one day I sat there and I looked out of my tent. And there in the distance, I could see the summit of Everest. And the wind was pumping. It's called a jet stream wind. And Everest is the, the height at which airplanes fly to give perspective. It's 29,000 feet. And I remember looking at my phone and I thought about Steve Hansen. Now, Steve Hansen was the New Zealand All Blacks coach for many, many years. And as we know, the All Blacks had a wonderful path to success. And he said something. He said, when my players are not performing, it's because their minds are cluttered. And I remember Carla looking at my phone thinking, Lee, you're either going to achieve the goal of running your company in Johannesburg, South Africa from Base Camp Everest, or you're going to achieve the goal of getting to the top of the world as a novice climber. But by plugging into your business and all these hundreds of emails, I've got to pick a lane. I've got to pick a goal and I've got to start to unclutter my mind. And I took my phone and I switched it off and I never looked at it again for another seven weeks because I thought there's no ways. I just, there was so much clutter. I'm thinking you're never going to get to the top of the world if you plugged into daily emails and running team meetings. It was absolutely crazy. But no judgment in that. It's just you've got to be very, and that's why I say clarity of vision. 
It's so important. You've got to be clear about where you're going to go. And you've got to also know, and I also say, when you think things aren't going to get harder, they do get harder. But if it's important enough for you, you'll make the sacrifice. You'll say no to the things that distract you from getting you to where you want to be. My book is, yes, it's a it's an inspirational book. And it is, it's very much how I live my life. Commit to the yes. What is your yes? Say yes to what that thing is. Make a decision today and tell people about it. You know, tell people because number one, it makes you accountable. Number two, people support the journey. There's so many, many reasons to say yes to something. There really is. Yeah, I'm very proud of my book. It's a very easy read. It's inspirational and yeah, people have really enjoyed it. Your book is principles that you can apply from business to sport and just in life in general. And what you said here is that you've got to have focus. You've got to actually drown out the noise. And that's also what I've noticed about champions is they drown out the noise. They know where they're going. They've got that clarity of vision, the focus. And there is a huge cost involved. And there is a sacrifice that you've got to make that decision that you know where you're going and you're going to be accountable for your own life. That's also a critical thing. And what you said there is, you know, in swimming, pick a lane, pick a path that you're going to go and put your head down and swim. And that's what you've got to focus on. And there was also a huge cost, a personal cost involved in climbing Everest. Uh, If you want to just chat to us about cost of the sacrifice of achieving your goals. Absolutely. I think there's no reward without sacrifice, no matter what you do. And that's what we said, the greater the sacrifice, the greater the reward, but you've got to push through and that's what you've got to achieve. So as I said a little bit earlier, when I went to work on that Monday morning, feel, feeling all inspired by Lewis Pugh's email to me, I came to the fore as this information was coming to me that his number one Everest was going to take two months. But then the big shocker, Carla, is that Everest was going to cost me 48,000 Canadian dollars, which was equivalent to about 600,000 rand. And I sat there thinking, this is a huge amount of money for personal adventure, that if I did get to the top of the world, I could sit at a dinner table telling my friends, guys, I made it to the top. And I thought it would be pretty much selfishly driven if I didn't try and do this for something bigger than than me getting to the top. And I need to say, because I don't want to profile myself to your audience as a do-gooder, I was going to take on that mountain anyway. But I looked at the cost and I thought, you know what, why don't you try and do some good at the same time? And this beautiful journey unfolded whereby I um, was introduced to an amazing group of children out of the Hattabiersburg Dam, which is literally 45 minutes out of Pretoria and Johannesburg. Amazing, amazing kids. And a lot of them were running their own households at the age of 13, 14. And I thought to myself, you know what, let me climb this mountain. Let me take the South African flag to the top of the world. If these children sign it, let's raise some money. But I was really fortunate because carte blanche followed my story and I had a lot of publicity. And I had that opportunity to say in the very first episode on carte blanche, when they screened it, is I wanted to appeal to every single South African to climb this mountain with me so we could raise the money and awareness to build a center for these children and a clinic for these children so that one day these children could believe that they could climb Everest, their own Everest. And I stuck with that. And it was amazing because climbed the mountain, got to the top, raised the money, started a foundation called the Field of Dreams Foundation. And on the 5th of December, 2016, we opened the doors to the Field of Dreams Children's Center. And then in 2017, when running the race in the Sahara Desert, also raised money and we opened a small clinic. So, you know, I, I think, I, and I often say to people, if you're going to do the tough stuff and especially the endurance stuff and you dig so deep and you can do it for a reason and of course, 
it's a no-brainer to do it. You know, it just makes it more purposeful and more meaningful. But so the cost, and I've heard and I've, people talk about Everest now nine years later, that it's double that fee. You know, people are really charging a lot to go to the amount. But what I did, Carly, because I didn't have that amount of cash, most definitely, I just paid it off and paid it off and paid it off. And eventually, by the time we left in March, I paid it off. But um, it's no inexpensive adventure, not at all. You know, you are that type of person that does go out of your comfort zone, that takes on challenges. What I've seen through this journey is that there's success and there's significance. Talk to us about the difference between success and have you transitioned or has your definition of success changed over the different challenges you've taken on and the difference between success and significance? It's such a great question. You know, um, somebody was relaying to me, they were speaking to an audience in Dubai. Many, many people of exceptionally wealthy, wealthy, wealthy people, wealthy. I mean, sheiks with, they were billionaires and zillionaires. And the essence of the talk was success is a role in your life, but how significant is your life? You know, and I think, as we said, you know, when we go, you don't take anything with you. But I think it's very, very important Whereas we get caught up in the rat race of success and achieving positions and promotions and reaching targets, which is a very good thing. I'm very driven in business, very, very driven in business. I always have been. But I do think it's very important to be aware of success, but also the underlying, which is the most important thing, is how significant. You know, what are you doing with your success? How are you impacting people? How are you changing lives? How are you making a difference? is really, really important. That was just a wonderful journey with Everest that wasn't just getting to the top of the world, that we built a beautiful children's centre. We had preschool teachers. These teachers have now started their own preschools, a clinic where people, I mean, they're doing vaccinations out of that little clinic. And, you know, that is, and please now, I don't want you to think I'm profiling me. It's just, there were two big, big things done a mountain, a run in the desert, and so many wonderful things happened. And I never did that on my own. It always takes a huge team of support to do that. And I was really, really blessed. And that's why I say do the endurance stuff, do it for a reason and a cause, you know, do some good along the way because success is one thing, but the significance is way more important, way, way more important. You never know the decision that you make today and the ripple effects of that decision. I mean, you set a goal to climb Mount Everest and to do the Sahara Desert Run, and you can't predict the future in terms of the lives that you've actually impacted along the way. And and that's also about being significant, leaving a legacy. And, you know, you say you don't want to profile yourself as somebody doing good, but we actually do need more people to do good in this in this world and to impact people's lives. And, you know, just a message of encouragement. You're a very encouraging person and you cheer others on. And that's also a Champions Uncovered. It's to, you know, you often need those people in the world that will encourage you and inspire you and just, you know, give you that nudge forward that you you have got what it takes and you can achieve your goals. And that ripple effect of goodness is definitely something we, we need in this world. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the part that I so loved about after the Everest journey was getting back in May 2013. And Carla, I had people and companies and schools. I've spoken to over 10,000 school children. So come and share the story. And before I knew it, there I was doing inspirational talks in South Africa, in Amsterdam, in San Francisco, in London. And, and that's been so wonderful. Is it to impart a personal story with a key message at the end about if you know what your purpose is, there's no challenge that you can't overcome. And that's been amazing. 
amazing, you know, besides the center and the clinic, but really to share a story that, because I believe we've got, a, everybody's got an Everest, you know, whatever that is, is completely different for everybody else. But every now, as Lewis Pugh, I listened to him, and something in his talk just dropped for me that I really walked away thinking, I can get to the highest mountain in the world. I mean, everyone thought I was absolutely crazy. I didn't, not at all. Not at all. And people would say to me, you know, do you think you were going to die? I mean, yes, I didn't think I was going to back to the death zone, but leading up to it, I just went on such faith that I could do this, that I, nothing is impossible. If you put your mind towards something, you can completely achieve it. And that's why even sessions like today with Champions Uncovered, they're so valuable because someone out there could be listening and there could be one thing that triggers them to be better than what they were yesterday or to reach that personal goal when they are. And you're right, Carla, people are having a tough time. They really are. Two years ago, I went down a slippery slope. In 48 hours, I had 22 million rands worth of business cancelled. That was it. And everyone said to me, don't worry, events are going to pivot. You're going to go virtual. It didn't, not for me. The phone stopped ringing. I didn't hear from anybody in up to nine, 10 months. And it was very rough. And I needed to remind myself, Lee, this is not about personal performance. You haven't done anything. And I can't control the situation. But what did I do? Lee, control the situation. Don't let the situation control you. Control your mindset. So I was just kind of back on that mountain in the desert. But in my office at home, just really think, what were the lessons there that I can apply today? And just to really dig deep, because that's what I'm sharing with people to do, that to turn the mirror and say, okay, all those lessons you're imparting, You've really got to apply this now. And uh, that was very, very, very important. And that's why just acknowledging the session because people have had a tough time. They really have. They've been retrenched. Kids that were in fancy schools are no longer. They're in different schools. A couple that had two jobs in a family have only got one. The really, really big impact on people's lives have lost loved ones, you know, and everyone needs a boost. They need a reminder as to that they are completely a champion that is waiting to be uncovered. And your gifts and your talents are so hidden within you. But unless you make that decision and say yes and, you know, take that first action step. And it's a small step. I mean, when you were climbing Mount Everest, you said that there was 840 meters that you had to climb. That would take somebody probably 10 minutes, you know. But in that situation, you, you mentioned it took you 14 hours to climb so when things aren't happening for you in the space of your life, you know, you think you've got to be at a certain place at a certain time, you will get there. And I think that's also the message. Absolutely. And, you know, Colin, I'm so glad you brought that up because um, when you are at 8,000 meters, which is eight kilometers, you've only got 848 meters to go and then you're on the summit. And I always ask audiences how many meters in a kilometer and they tell me there's a thousand meters. And I say, if you were going to walk one kilometer and people say what you did, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And then I tell them that took me 14 and a half hours. And we had an incredible expedition leader, Marty. And Marty said, no matter how cold you are, no matter how tired you are, do not stop moving. And in 2012, there was a group of British climbers that did stop moving and they froze to death. And their bodies are still on that mountain, uh, which just shows, I mean, we were also going to temperatures as low as minus 34 degrees. But I love what you're saying. You know, it's, um, you just got to keep going and keep going and keep going. So that took me 14 and a half hours. We got onto the summit. Then to get back to the death zone took me another nine hours. So you've got to know 1.6 kilometers. It was yeah, 20, what, 22, 23 hours. And I didn't think I was going to get from the summit back to the death zone. Everything was shutting down. And there were two questions 
that I was asked about Everest. Did you ever think you weren't going to make it? And I didn't think, Carla, I was going to, I'd got to the summit. I didn't think I was going to get back to the death zone. I was freezing cold. My body was shutting down because of the lack of oxygen and I was hallucinating. I couldn't see the ground properly. And, um, Everest is like life. It's not how you start something, it's how you finish. Because do you know that if you get to the top of Mount Everest and you've got a photograph and you've got a big smile on your face and you've got a flag in your head, if you don't get back down to base camp, it's not counted at all as a successful summit. And the reason being is more people die on the way down. More people lose their lives coming down. And that's why a successful Everest summit, you've got to get up and you've got to get all the way back to base camp. Um, in 2019, there were 11 people that died on Everest. Five of them got to the top of the world. They've even got photographs. And those five people died in the death zone. It's not counted as a successful summit, not at all. When I was in the mountain in 2013, there were nine people that lost their lives on Everest. But, um, you know, the second question that I was asked is, when you didn't think you were going to make it, what was the thing that made you make it? Because then I really kind of needed to dig deeper than what I've ever had to in my whole life, realizing that you've got to the top. You've got to get down to the death zone. You've got to. And I had to dig deep to think, why am I doing what I'm doing? And then I realized what your purpose is. And if you're so clear on what your purpose is, what your why is, there's no challenge that isn't big enough. And I just really don't think so. This is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. Put my head down and step by step by step go back to the death zone. It was the hardest 23 and a half hours of my whole life. If you could just leave us with one mindset message that the champions could apply to start uncovering their talents and gifts within them. Absolutely. And that is just a few words. Make the decision today. Champions Uncovered hopes you've gained some valuable insights and practical tools for you to use in your everyday life. Subscribe to this podcast channel so you can be notified for more Champions Uncovered podcasts.